Everybody say this with me. It's our memory verse for the fall. And each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one, everybody say each one. So that means me. It means me. We've all received gifts from God, and he's given them to us so that we can minister the manifold grace of God, grace of God, to one another. And God has positioned us in the body of Christ to be able to minister to one another. And that's why the scripture says that they'll know we're Christians by our love, what? One for another. Because God's given us a special grace to care for one another. And when we care for one another, when we look out for one another, then we reflect the love of God to the world. Right? When we ignore one another and just live as islands unto ourselves, the world notices that too. When they see the church is not working together, the world notices that too. But they also notice when we do pull together, like we did a few weeks ago, and uh, when they saw the Will Graham thing happening, people see that and they go, wow, that's awesome. There's one church, there's one community, there's one voice for God in our city, and that is the voice of the Christian church uh, made up of many little families. Amen? Amen. And we thank God for that. Praise the Lord. And uh, so thankful for all the people that have been talking about uh, their gifts and stuff, and uh, uh, we're so grateful for all the different input that we have. But I wanted to, this morning, just kind of review last week, and then I wanted to share some, some caveats to last week's message. Uh, because I think there needs to be some clarification made. Um, last week I focused on this verse, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is where John the Baptist is talking about his ministry coming to an end. Remember his disciples came and said, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, the dude that you, you baptized, well, now everybody's going and following him and going to him, why? and they're not coming to you. Why is that? And John said, listen, this is as it should be, right? He said, I must decrease and he must increase. And uh, how that was not a statement that is to be applied to every believer's life in the sense that, you know, in order for God to increase in your life, you have to become, you know, less significant. You, you have to sacrifice everything that you are. That's not what God meant. And uh, this was a specific verse given to John and his specific role that he had, his role had to diminish in order for Christ to be brought to the forefront. And uh, I talked about how that, that as new covenant believers, the revelation that we have to understand is that we, as his children, we work uh, uh, for him, uh, from him, I should say, and not for him. That we have a relationship with him that we work out of, and we're not earning anything. We're not trying, we're not striving, but we're working from where we are. And where are we? Well, we're, we're friends of God. We're sons of God. We're the family of God. And so we have been adopted and grafted into his family. And uh, as Bill Johnson says, that God actually makes himself vulnerable, vulnerable to our desires. He actually makes himself vulnerable to our desires. In fact, he would say it this way, if it matters to you, it matters to God, right? If it matters to you, it matters to him. This is a profound revelation in the New Testament that you don't see in the Old Testament. Because through Jesus Christ, we're no longer slaves. We're no longer servants, uh, per se. But we are friends and, and sons and daughters and family. And all the language in the New Testament that you read in reference to, the, to us as believers is, is family. It's all family. And, uh, and that New Testament language of family permeates uh, the body of Christ. And we're to live like family. We're to, to love like family. We're to serve one another as family. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? 
So then we looked at another passage of Scripture that helps to reinforce this as well. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is an Old Testament glimpse into what we were going to have under New Testament covenant. That we were going to have a relationship with God where if we would delight in him, if we would enjoy the relationship, he would give us the very desires of our heart. Isn't that profound? The very desires of your heart. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't know, I can't really... I don't know, I mean, how do I know if I can trust my desires, right? People ask me that all the time. They say, well, how do I know? And the question shouldn't be, you know, can I trust my desires or are my desires from God? But what did I say the question should be? The question should be, with whom have I been in communion? If you've been spending time with God, your desires will be shaped by God. So rather than second-guessing all your desires, get time in with God, right? And if you get time in with God then the desires of your heart will be shaped by your relationship, and then God is able to give you the desires of your heart. Does that make sense? Right? How many people here are married? How many people here are happily married? <laughs> Thank you that most of those hands stayed up. That's good. Um, you know, when we're, when we're in a marriage relationship, the more time we spend together, the more we understand the desires of our spouse, right? And therefore, we're able, right, to, as, a, as in a relationship, to see the desires of our heart get met by our spouse because we've spent so much time with one another that our hearts become one. Does everybody understand that? It's the same way with God. So when we spend time with him, then we are, our, our very heart is being shaped by him, and then the things that we desire, God's able to give us because our desires are in alignment with him. This is how he's designed the body of Christ to work. So I get a choice every day of my life. I can commune with God or I can commune with the enemy. And whichever one I spend time with, that's how my desires are going to be shaped. It's called the, the law of the harvest, right? You reap what you sow. Now here's the good news about the law of the harvest. I hear preachers use it all the time to say, talk about how that if you sow to the flesh, then of the flesh you're going to reap destruction, right? And they talk about how, you know, you, if you did evil, you're going to reap evil, and, and, and it's real heavy, strong messages, and all that's true. But the rest of the verse says, but if you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit you will reap eternal life. And, and, and how many know, like I said last week, there's things that are true, but there's things that are truer, right? Yeah. Right? It's true that the wages of sin is death, but it's truer that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It trumps the first truth. And it's the same way with the law of the harvest. It's true that if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap destruction. But it's even more true. It's, it's more powerful that if you uh, sow to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. You see what I mean? It, 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 God's, God's kingdom is set up so that Everything that's it's done uh, in him and in relationship with him trumps the flesh. Follow me this morning? It isn't a... One of the symbols that I see people adopting all the time in our culture and wearing as tattoos and everything else, and you really shouldn't, is the symbol of the yin and the yang. Do you know what I'm talking about? The two little intertwining teardrops, one's black with a white dot in the middle, and the other one's white with a black dot in the middle. It was supposed to show the eternal balance in the universe between, you know, uh, the, the good and the, and, and the bad, right? But that's not how it is. It's not balanced at all. 
And when you, when you mark your body or you walk around with a little pendant or something of that on it, you're actually uh, speaking out something or declaring something that's completely contrary to the gospel. Because the truth of the gospel is that the goodness of God triumphs the evil. Are you hearing me? There isn't some eternal balance between the two. No, the Bible says that Satan has been defeated. Someone say amen. He's been defeated. He's, he's a beaten foe. And the only weapon, only weapon that he has is deceit. It's to lie. It's to try and convince you something that isn't true. And so when you walk around with those little pendants on, you're buying into a lie. Take that thing, burn it, get rid of it. Not because I think that wearing it around your neck is going to somehow curse you or anything like that. No, it's you're believing a lie. Right? So why would you want to partner with a lie? You see what I'm saying? So the more time you commune with God, the more your thinking is shaped by God. Right? But the more you listen to the nonsense that's out there in the, the world, the more your mind will be shaped by that. And then you'll sit there and go, I don't know why I'm having so much trouble, Pastor. I don't get it. Doesn't make any sense to me. Well, when was the last time you were in the Word? Uh, I remember that rainy day about six months ago. Yeah, that's not good enough. Hello? I'm telling you. Like I said last week when I was quoting Dan Dyer, right? Don't be caught praying for a miracle in an area where you need the miracle because you failed to follow a principle, Right? Lock on to the principles of God's word, live the principles, and you won't have to call on God for a miracle to make ends meet because you didn't follow a principle. Hello? Now, God in his mercy still comes through in many of those situations. Even when we didn't follow the principle, he still comes through because he's a merciful God. That's called mercy, right? Not to be confused with grace. They're not the same thing, right? That's mercy. That's God stepping in and not giving you what you deserve, right? That's mercy. And when God does that, he's merciful. But if you would just follow the principle, right? If you just follow the principle, then God, the Bible says, can open up his heavens and pour out blessing upon you if you would follow his principles. It ain't complicated. You know, Jesus said, you know, if you, if you hear my word and you obey my word, Right? Then you'll be called my disciples, and the truth will set you free. But people love to just quote around, oh, the truth will set you free. Well, not according to the scripture if you don't believe it and, and obey it and walk as his disciple. If the truth is just something you have written on your fireplace uh, or above your fireplace or, or tattooed on your arm or you know, on the inside of your Bible or whatever like that, it's not doing you any good there at all. It's got to be in you, and you obey it. Then the Bible says, you're my disciple, and the truth will set you free. That's how it works. But it's got to be in you, right? It's got to be in you. All right, that's all for free this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you see, the thing is, is that God has a plan to shape our world. And he, he will only advance that plan through his church. Now, you don't have to think that's a great strategy, I don't think he was asking your opinion when he made the decision. Uh, some of you are like, well, he should have. Uh, but that is his plan. The church is his vehicle. It's his plan. He came up with the idea that, I was going to, that he was going to send his son. His son would give his life for humanity. 
that the redeemed of the Lord would say so, and they would go forth, and they would be the instruments to change the world. And God laid it out so that there would be a partnership between us and him, right? And that partnership is, is a partnership with an entire family, not just one or two people. It isn't dependent on just one Moses splitting the Red Sea and all the people get to go through. It's dependent on every one of us partnering together to accomplish what God has called for us to do. That's the decision he's made. And, uh, you know, the, the dreams that we have, the desires that we have, God's put them in our heart, and he longs for us to partner with him to get those things passed, to get it done. And uh, that's why you can't take John uh, 3 and 30 and take it out of context and, and, and use it as something to, you know, uh, cause you to back away from God. So it's not, you know, a call. It is a call, I should say, to, to die to our sinful natures, but it's not a call to ask God to eliminate your personality. God made you the way you are. You can, it's just turn the person aside and say, as weird as I am, I am who I am, right? <laughs> That's right. God made you with that personality. He, didn't, he, he did not call you to shrink your identity or reduce your individuality. That's not what that verse was meant to mean. It wasn't about us becoming something we're not or sacrificing who he made us to be. It's just a call to every one of us to examine our sinful nature, die to that, but to recognize beyond that, that verse has no application here. It was actually a verse to John to say, John, your ministry is ending. Now Jesus has taken over, right? And so we're not supposed to reduce who we are. God made us the way we are. And, uh, and, and then I gave the illustration of the boxes and the circle. Remember this? And uh, how on my computer screen, this covers 16 square inches, and it's a lot bigger than that up here. And so does that, exactly the same area, and they're mathematically the same size. But look what happens when you layer one over top of the other, right? We all know that a square peg will not fit in a round hole, right? It won't work. It won't work. And then I showed you, though, unless you do this. It won't fit unless you shrink the peg to fit the hole, right? And uh, the only way you can fit into an area where you're not defined to fit is if you shrink and become less than you are. Right? If we, and the problem with that scenario is right now is that, that that now fits in the circle, but it never fills the circle. Right? When, when your personhood and your potential shrinks to fit into something it's not really designed for, the problem is that it never fills the whole hole. Right? everybody see that this morning? And, uh, and I don't think that's the way God intended us to operate. He intended us instead to be able to f live out our full potential. Now, a couple of little things that we talked about. This uh, doesn't mean that you can never serve in an area where you aren't called or you aren't gifted. So remember, we did the gift surveys. It doesn't mean, you know, if, well, if your gift is, is say, uh, you know, um, the gift of teaching that you can never, for example, uh, be a server or a giver. It's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that if you want to reach your fullest potential, then it will be using yourself and seeing yourself used in the gift of your greatest anointing and calling. Does everybody follow that? And so now there's a... Then I ended uh, after that just with a few statements. Believe that God wants you to bring your dreams to pass. Believe that God has equipped you with gifts to accomplish those dreams. And believe that God wants to partner with you to advance the kingdom. Now, this morning, I just want to give some caveats regarding this. You know, because there's, 
there's some misunderstandings that we can make regarding this truth that I think we need to make sure we, we don't fall into this trap of thinking, all right? So here they are. First one is this. Uh, not allowing yourself to become a square peg in a round hole is not an excuse for laziness or sin or compromise, all right? You hear what I'm saying? Uh, you know, because you could hear that message and go, oh, you know, I don't, don't want to be a, a square peg in a round hole, but it's not an excuse for laziness or sin or for compromise. And uh, what do I mean by that? Well, let's hear some, see some scripture here about laziness. Uh, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. Ooh, how many know vinegar uh, uh, in your teeth is yuck? How many hate, I hate vinegar. Like, you know, I won't even eat salt and vinegar chips. That's how much I hate vinegar. Uh, and then as smoke to the eyes, I hate smoke in my eyes. I mean, it just drives me nuts. Could also say as uh, peeling an onion is the eyes. I mean, these are excruciating experiences for us. We don't like it. Well, that's what a lazy man is to those who send him. Don't like that. Uh, the desire of the lazy man kills him for his hand, hands, I should say, refuse to labor. So in other words, laziness, the, the Bible's telling you, will, will end you. It will not be good for you. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So this is the story of the talent. And when the one man buried his talent, this is the response that the master had to him. He called him wicked and lazy. He tied those two words together because he didn't at least invest and put it in interest. You know, uh, at least put it in deposit if he wasn't going to go out and work with it. And so, you know, we get a clear picture here that God is not a big fan of laziness. So when we're talking about not allowing yourself to be placed as a square peg in a round hole, we're not talking about giving yourself permission to be lazy. You can't say, well, I'd really like to help you move today, but my gift isn't serving. You know? So I'd really like to help you, but you know what? It's not serving, so I'm off the hook, right? That's not what God was trying to get across to us. There are many other kind of verses like this in the scripture, and uh, the majority of them are tucked away in Proverbs, which is real practical for this kind of thing. But they send this really clear message to us this morning that there is no justification for laziness in the body of Christ. That every one of us should be diligent. The Bible loves the word diligence. You'll see that word throughout Scripture too. Diligence. It's something that God celebrates. All right? So laziness. Sin. Uh, you would think it seems unnecessary to point this out, uh, that, that we're not talking about uh, uh, accommodating sin when we're talking about refusing to be a square peg in a round hole. But human nature being as it is, there are some who would, would do this, you know. When we talk about, uh, about this, some people, for example, here's an example. You know, someone might say, well, you know, I realize that my uh, gambling addiction uh, is, 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 is real and I have it, but it's not really a problem because, after all, God made me this way. Right? And you see how that can be? How, how we can take the idea that God made us a certain way, that I have a certain personality and all the rest of it, and we can use it as a justification for sin. Well, you know, it's not really my fault that my eyes wander because God made me this way. It's not really my fault that I'm greedy. God made me this way. It's just one of the side effects of being a, a good steward, I suppose, you know. Uh, this is not what God is talking about. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It's not an excuse for us to walk in sin. God is not happy about sin. And there's lots of scriptures that, I mean, I shouldn't even need to put this up here, but therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, Psalm 1.5. Uh, your word, David said, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He wanted to put the word in there because he didn't want to be part of sin. 
if your right eye causes you to sin, this is probably one of the strongest passages in all of Scripture, Jesus said, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable that you, uh, for, for, for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This is strong language. Very strong language. And I think it communicates very clearly that, that Jesus has some serious feelings about sin. And uh, uh, using how you were designed to function in the kingdom is not an excuse to accommodate sin. Now, thank God again for his grace and his mercy. His mercy means that even though Jesus is speaking in you know, uh, this kind of hyperbole, he's not, you know, thankfully we don't have a bunch of people walking around with no hands. Because the reality is, is that if you were to apply this literally, we'd all probably at best have only one eye left, uh, you know. We'd probably at best have only one hand. You know, we'd all probably be in some serious trouble here this morning if we applied this literally. But Jesus was trying to communicate to us using this type of language to show you how serious a problem it is. And the biggest problem with sin, can I be honest with you, is this. It doesn't uh, keep you out of heaven. It keeps you ineffective while you're here. See, Jesus already paid the price for your sin, and even if you, you know, you, you ask him to come in your life, and you, but you continue to do stuff, you know, and you still wrestle with it, and you don't, you know, lay that thing down every day and be crucified with Christ, we all make mistakes. Every one of us is probably going to sin at some point in our lives, the rest of our life, until the day we go to be with him. And, and how many know that that sin that you might make next week or tomorrow or this afternoon when you leave the church, I don't know, uh, that that's not automatically going to boot you out of heaven, Right? But if we embrace it, if we allow it to stay in our heart and in our life, what it does is it takes you out of the game here. It, 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 what it does is it takes away your effectiveness. And that's why we need to flee from it. Flee from sin because it, it, it causes us to not be effective in who we are. And Satan knows that, that if we've already accepted Christ, we're already redeemed. He knows that, that we're already bought. He knows that we already belong to the Lord. He knows we're already marked. So what's his, his next goal? Make sure you don't get anybody else. Right? So he tries everything he can to keep you ineffective. And that's the real burden of sin. It keeps the church ineffective. When we walk around all wrapped up in ourselves... Right? We make a very small package, and small is not a threat to the enemy. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. All right, third one is compromise. All right? Uh, when, we, when we say yes to God and we say yes to not being a square peg in a round hole, it's also not an invitation to compromise. You know, for example, yes, I've read what the Bible says about tithing, but my gift is exhorting, not giving. See, that's compromise, Right? Uh, that, my gift is exhorting, not giving. I know the Bible says to be generous, but, you know, it's just not really my thing. Right? I'm a teacher instead. You follow what I'm saying? And uh, compromise is, is, is a great thing when it comes to politics. Because you have to find some places of compromise in order to uh, be able to move forward as a nation. And when you want to keep peace and relational harmony in a workplace, you're going to have to have some compromise. But... God's not interested in compromise when it comes to our relationship with him. He's just not interested in it. He wants us to be all in. He wants you to be all in. He wants you to get a hold of his word and follow it. He's not really interested in compromise. 
It's not, it's not how it works with him. He's so opposed to compromise that in the majority of translations of the Bible, there's a few newer ones that it actually is in there, but the word compromise is not even in the Scripture. If you go to the King James or the NIV, you get some like the New Living Translation because they're trying to communicate a principle to us. They'll use the word, but, but in these, these hard English translations, it's not even used in the Scripture. But there are some Scriptures that speak about it, though. Uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God money. So it's a no-compromise situation. It's one or the other, right? For example, again, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. Again, that's a great no-compromise passage. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. That's from the New Living Translation I was telling you about, where it's showing us, though, that there's no room for compromise in the kingdom of God. If God's established a principle, then he expects it to be followed and he's likely attached a blessing to following it. Someone say amen. He's likely attached a blessing to following it. That's good news. Why wouldn't you want to follow it? If there's a blessing attached to it, kind of makes sense. How many like to be blessed? Follow his principles. It's pretty simple. If you like to be blessed, there's usually a blessing attached to following God's principles. <clears throat> All right. Now, so that's the first thing. First thing. Second thing is this. It does not mean that we reject all correction from others. So saying I'm not going to be uh, a square peg in a round hole, and God doesn't want me to be a square peg in a round hole, is not, does not mean that you reject correction from other people, right? You know, when other people bring a word of correction to us about our gifts, uh, our work, and our kingdom, it's important to pray and ask God if there's a measure of truth in what the person is saying. If there is, then we should embrace their words, not reject them. It's important to discern whether someone's counsel that someone's giving you is meant to refine you or define you. Everybody say that. Refine me or define me. If someone's a friend and a family member or someone that loves you and you know they care for you and they come with a word of correction to your life, it's probably meant to refine you, not to define you. But if you've got a ministry and somebody who comes along who, who has no investment in you whatsoever and just tries to come and tell you how you should be doing it, they're probably trying to define you. Because it's a, it's a trait of those who, who tend to be not walking where they personally themselves should be with God to try and define other people according to their, their definition of what's right. So you need to ask God, is this somebody refining me or somebody trying to define me? If they're trying to refine you, then embrace it and say, God, how can I be made better? But if, if they're trying to define you, if they're trying to make you in their image, then you can reject that. Because I'm defined only by my relationship with God and by those who I walk closest with. Are you hearing me? I'm going to give you a real simple illustration as a pastor. A lot of times in churches, churches try to define their pastor rather than help refine their pastor. Every pastor needs refinement. Even this one. It's true. Not perfect, right? We need refinement. But what happens when church bodies try to define the pastor? You see that a lot. And they try to, 
you know, say, well, you know, if you just did this when you're preaching, or if you just did that, or if you just, you know, visited these people on Monday and these people on Friday or whatever, and try to tell the pastor how he should do his, his job, you know, it can be pretty dicey. We need refinement. But pray for your pastor. Let the Lord define him. Pray for those that God has put in charge uh, of, of your care. And, and ask God to help define them and to make them who they are. Don't get caught in that thing where you're trying to do it. Because you don't want to get trying to play the hand of God. It's not a really pretty thing. But I've seen it in church situations before, and it's, it's, it's ugly. It is not good. But I want you to know that God does want to refine us. And many times, people who care about us are bringing us a word because they're trying to help uh, shape who we are. Here's a few scriptures that talk about that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Everybody say faithful. faithful. So when a friend comes to us and says something that might hurt, but it's, it's still faithful because they're a friend. They're someone that can be trusted. But the kisses of an enemy are, de are deceitful. So somebody who doesn't really care about you, but, you know, I'm always nervous when somebody, first time they're ever here, and they come up and say, oh, pastor, this church is just perfect. All of a sudden, my spidey senses go ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, they're probably going to be a problem down the road. <laughs> but only for a few weeks, right, sir? But only for a few weeks. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's what the scripture's teaching us. Uh, Here's another one. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So we're meant to refine each other, but we're not meant to define each other, right? Do you see a commonality here? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> you know, don't you love Proverbs? But, but, you know, but whoever hates correction is stupid. You know, I, it, you know, I, I picture one of the, uh, you know, one of the redneck guys saying that, you know. Uh, <laughs> a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. So, you know, in fact, I would encourage you, if you want to be refined, go to people that you trust and ask for their input. Many people love you enough that they've been praying for you, they've been praying for certain things to happen in your life, and, and if they do love you, you know, that's why it's important to have spiritual mother or father in your life. You know, there are things that I'll ask of them, and they, will be, they, they won't say to me until I ask. But if I ask, they're going to say, well, I think you need to do this, or I think you need to do that. And if we'll ask for, for correction from somebody that we trust and somebody who loves us, that's a good thing in your life. That's helping us be refined. It's not trying to define us. They're trying to refine us. Amen? One final thought on receiving correction. Always be willing to receive it. Everybody say always. Always, always be willing to receive it, but cautious when giving it. All right? The truth is that most times we're shown something in somebody else's life that needs correcting because God wants us to pray, not because he wants you to be the one correcting it. That's just a fact. All right? Are you hearing me this morning? In fact, I, I think I've told the congregation before, there's nothing more despised than unsolicited advice. People don't usually take too well to somebody giving them unsolicited advice. All right, let's move on this morning. Finally, it's not an excuse to remain static. So saying, I'm not going to be a, a square peg in a round hole is not an excuse for you to remain 
static. In other words, for you to remain unchanged, right? Uh, God has us in a relationship with him, and you're going to be changed every single day. Change is not only inevitable as a believer, it's preferable. How many know it would be good for us not to remain the same? I'm glad I'm not the same person I was when I said yes to Jesus at 17, right? I'm even better looking now than I was then. That's the first thing. Uh, First of all, I finally got rid of the mullet. That was a huge improvement right there. Huge. Uh, (laughs) Even though my wife loves to tell everybody she cuts a great mullet, the reality is it's still a mullet. And I don't know, I think the spirit of Antichrist was all over that generation of mullets. It was just a, it was a horrible, mine was even permed. I mean, can I be honest with you? Tom, did you have the permed mullet too? I think all the stress, Tom, of it, of it pulling on the back of our head ripped the hair out of the front of our head. That's why it's receding now is because all the weight that was pulling back then, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm just so thankful that God doesn't leave us the same. He's constantly working on us and changing us and refining us and defining us. God is constantly doing that. And, and for us to say, well, God, you made me this way and, and I don't need to change is nonsense. God wants to change every one of us. But he doesn't do it by destroying who we are. He doesn't change Mark and refine Mark by destroying Mark's personality. He's always going to be a bit of a smart aleck because God made him that way. He's always going to have this ability to, to see the humor in certain things because God made him that way. And he doesn't have to apologize for that. You see what I'm saying? Now he has to let God refine it so that when the person falls down and breaks their nose, he's not always laughing. He laughs a little bit, goes over, and then helps them up and gets them something to stop the bleeding. See, that's refinement. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, these, these kinds of things are taking place in every one of us every day. God is trying to refine who we are, and we need to allow him to do it. And we can't say, well, God, I just, I just don't really like change. Well, hello. I read a quote the other day, and it said, every church wants progress, but they don't want change. Right? Every church wants progress. We all want progress, but we don't want change. Well, guess what? Change is the road or the pathway to progress. You can't get one without the other, right? The reality is, if we want progress, we're going to have to change. And some people just say, no, but I like the church the way it is. You know? This is, this, you know, this is the way we created it to be. I know, but that was 25 years ago. When we started Desert Stream, there were no smartphones. The last time I was youth youth minister, I didn't have to do deal with smartphones. Today, you just want to take them and smash them. It just drives you nuts. Tori's already trying to defend herself. She's been good, Mom. She's been good. Don't worry. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, how many of you been trying, you know, visiting with somebody or or whatever, and they're they're on their phone the whole time, and you're trying to have a conversation. You just want to pick it up, boom, wipe it against the wall. I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of being on the phone there when I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody. And, and you know, they, they're an intrusion into what used to be normal conversation. So it makes it even harder to have a normal conversation today because we have an intrusion that didn't exist 25 years ago. Right? I remember my first cell phone when we started the church. A Nokia 5440. Do you guys remember those things? You know, T9. Do you guys remember T9? 
you had to hit like six letters to make one word on the number keypad. I never did use it. I was like, how can I figure out how to do this? I don't think I ever sent a text message back in those days because I didn't know how to make those numbers make words. It, it didn't make any sense to me. You know, and then I got my first Palm Pilot. Do you guys remember that? And the Palm Trail. We were rocking it then. You know, but the point is, in 25 years, how much has the world changed? But then we said, well, we don't want to change the church. Well, if you don't, a whole generation is going to right by. And you'll never see them go. Right? We have to be willing to change. Progress is not going to happen without change. And that change has got to happen on two levels. Internally and externally. God's got to change some stuff in me, and he's got to change some stuff around me in the ways that I work and I do and I serve. So in me and then around me, God's got to change those things. So in me, he's got to deal with everything from, you know, my own heart when it comes to whether it's greed or whether it's anger or, or, or whether it's uh, uh, offense or anything. That's internal. But then and around me, you know, my ability to work with others, my ability to, to take my gift and, 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 and join it to somebody else's gift, We've got to be able to change there as well. You may like to only hang around the people who are gifted like you. It might be more comfortable if you sat in a room full of, you know, people who are just the same gift as you. But guess what? That's not a complete picture of the body of Christ. And, you know, for example, if I sat in the room only with teachers, we'd all have big heads, but we probably wouldn't get anything else done. But we'd be able to tell each other that we're pretty good at it, even though we're not getting anything else done. You know, the whole world is outside your doors bleeding to death, but... You can go out and tell them, you know, if you just did this, this, and this, you wouldn't be bleeding, but you're not helping bind up their wounds. You see what I'm saying? And you can say that about any one of the gifts. You can't just isolate yourself and hang out with the people who think like you. Everybody is needed, and everybody needs to change. Someone say amen. amen. So as a part of the body of Christ, we can minister to anyone for any need, anywhere, and any time. That's the bottom line of this. Saying, I don't want to be a square peg in a round hole is not an excuse for laziness, sin, or compromise. Right? Just can't be allowed. Doesn't work. And it's not an excuse for us to remain the same. God is saying, listen, don't be static. Keep moving. Keep changing. Keep growing. Being confident of this very thing, Paul said, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? He began something in you the day you came to Christ. He'll be faithful to complete it if you let him. If you will let him. I'm going to end this morning with a video that uh, I, I found that I think helps us understand what God's trying to do in each and every one of us. All right? Let me put this up for you. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. 
What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. That he intends to live in himself. You understand? Isn't that good? That's compliments to C.S. Lewis. Somebody just put it to video, just so you know. But um, uh, I think this is a beautiful picture of what God's doing in each and every one of us. He's shaping us into something far greater than we ever thought we would be. He's molding us and remodeling us. And, and sometimes what God's doing in our life, we don't like it. We don't like it. We feel, in fact, like what he's doing in our life is taking away from, from my enjoyment of life. He's, you know, I know when I first came to the Lord, you know, and I... God began to convict me about some of the behaviors that I had. And, and I thought, man, my life is going to be dull, you know, if I give up this or I give up that. But nothing could be further from the truth. And what God's building is absolutely fantastic. I w that, that was such a parable of my life. I thought he wanted to just shave a little bit off here, you know, tweak a little bit here or there. But God said, no, 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 I want to I wanna make you into something you, you aren't at all. I never wanted to be a pastor. Neither did you, did you, Mark? No. And especially neither did Sherry. You heard her tell you that last week. I had no interest in it at all. I was like, God, I'll be content to just go live in Toronto and help other people get off drugs and stuff like you did for me. And God said, that's, that's fine, Kevin, but if you spend more time with me, I've got some other things I'd like you to do. And because I was willing to say, God, whatever you want to do, I ended up going to college. I ended up meeting my wife. I wouldn't even have my three children or my ten grandchildren as they are if I hadn't been willing to say, God, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. I wouldn't have traveled to some 20-plus countries in the world, preached the gospel, had relationships with people everywhere. I'll, my idea of what my house was to be was so much smaller than what God has created. And some of you this morning, you're just way too satisfied with way too little. God's saying, I'm not trying to make a cottage. I'm trying to make a palace, one that I can inhabit. And think about it. If the creator of the universe wants to live within us, we're going to have to expand a little bit. We're going to have to get a little bit bigger. We're going to have to think a little more outside the box. We're going to have to allow God to do some things that we just, we've been holding back on. Don't think small. It's time to think big. It's time to think big. Very little in life was ever accomplished because people chose to think small. The things that we have and the things that we enjoy and the changes that have made, been made possible have happened because people were willing to dream big. And you say, yeah, but it's so disappointing when I dream big and I, and I don't achieve all that I was hoping for. I get that. But you know what's even worse than that? Is to have never dreamed and never attempted it in the first place. You want to talk about something that's crushing is that when you get to the end of your life and you look back and you, all you can think of are coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? There's nothing more defeating than that. 
to look back at your life and say, I never tried anything. I never stretched myself. I never reached out. I never, I never believed for anything more than just what was around me presently. God says, I want to do so much more, church. So much more with your life. So much more with your relationships. So much more with your body, your family. So much more with this community. So much more. So much more. Could you stand with me this morning? Some of you this morning, as that video was playing and you got to its end, God was speaking to you. And you realize that you've been on a track in life that's so much narrower, so much smaller than God wants it to be. You know, the Bible says that some people will make it into glory as one just escaping the flames. You're going to squeak in. Just being honest. God in his grace and in his mercy, he wants, he wants us with him for eternity. So there are people that confess Christ as their savior and then just go back to living the way they always lived. And guess what? You'll, they'll probably still be right with us in heaven. But they'll, as Jude says, they're going to just squeak in. They're just going to barely escape the flames. But you know what? What kind of an entrance is that going to be? What kind of a way to arrive is that? Right? I would, I would rather arrive and, 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 you know, you see these movies on t- TV all the time where, where they announce people arriving at the party. We now present to you the Duke of Wellington. You know? I want my arrival to be something like that. And then all of a sudden everybody goes, Woo! Kevin's here! Let's get the party started, right? That's what I want. I don't have any interest in arriving and everybody go, you know, oh, who was that? And you just kind of squeak in. You don't want to squeak in. You want to go in fully celebrated, right? This morning, if we, everyone just close your eyes, please, in this place this morning. Just got a moment between you and God here today. And you say, Pastor, that's me. I've been pretty small cottage. And yet this morning I realized God wants something bigger. God wants to do something infinitely bigger than I was ever prepared for. But I'm afraid of the change. I'm afraid of what it'll require. Pray for me this morning. Pray for me this morning. We just put your hand up and say, I, want, I need prayer this morning. Yes, yes. Don't be shy. Just hold your hand up. I'm, I'm not going to come and mug you or anything like that. Yes. Lots of hands going up. Anybody else this morning? Praise the Lord. Father, I, you see these hands lifted. They represent hearts that are before you this morning saying, God, you're speaking to me. I don't, I don't want to be somebody who lives my life being less than you intended me to be. And Father, I pray that you would take these lives, Lord, and these hands outstretched to you this morning. And Father, you would... You would so fill them with purpose and fill them with passion and fill them with dreams that, Lord, that God, as they, as they serve you with everything that you've put within them, and, Lord, as they seek to fulfill that, the, the, the hole, the niche that you've created for them, 
that, Father, you would allow them to think big enough to fill the entire, the entire whole, the whole ministry, the, 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 the fill the void that God is there because, Lord, you've prepared a space just for them. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them uh, a tenacity to not let go, to not give up, to not, uh, Father, back down from what their potential is in Christ Jesus. Father, we're all here this morning being made into incredible palaces of God so that, Lord, you can live in and dwell and move and have your being in each and every one of us. And, Father, we pray for our church as a whole that, God, we would, we would reach our potential as each member reaches its potential. As, Father, we achieve and reach up to God what you've called us to be, that, Lord, through that, whether it's uh, serving or whether it's, uh, Father, uh, perceiving or whether it's giving or administrating or teaching, whatever our gift is, Father, that, God, you would work through your people to accomplish great things. Father, we thank you today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys are fantastic people. If you would like prayer this morning, we're here this morning. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love, if you'd like further prayer about that, just come on up. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. And uh, we'd love to be a blessing to your life. But uh, your kids, I think, are probably out already. So you might want to go gather them. Lord bless you.